How's everyone doing? I can see some people with cocktail. Are they actual cocktails? I bet they are. I love that for you. I love that. <laughs> the sun is shining. You're sipping on a cocktail. As I always say, it's 10 a.m. somewhere. Let's have a lovely life. Um, thank you so, so much for taking the time to join us, to be here today. Welcome to this very special episode of Bookshelfie, brought to you from the Women's Prize live in London's Bedford Square Gardens in front of a wonderful live audience. Can we hear it one more time? <laughs> With thanks to Baileys, this is the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast. Celebrating women's writing, sharing our creativity, our voices and our perspectives, all while championing the very best fiction written by women around the world. I'm Vic Hope and I'm your host for season six of Bookshelfie, the podcast that asks women with lives as inspiring as any fiction to share the five books by women that have shaped them. Join me and my incredible guests as we talk about the books you'll be adding to your 2023 reading list. I am absolutely delighted to be joined on the stage by Nadia Hussein, renowned... Yes, go on, go on. (laughs) Renowned British TV chef, author, presenter and baker. Of course, she is known and loved as the winner of the sixth season of The Great British Bake Off in 2015. Since then, she's gone on to become a TV presenter, hosting her own cooking shows, including Nadia's British Food Adventure and Nadia's Time to Eat. She's also a writer, having penned several best-selling cookbooks, including her latest book, Simple Spices, which is out this September. In 2019, she was awarded an MBE, And as if that wasn't enough, she's also a talented illustrator and has written several children's books. Please welcome to the podcast, Nadia. Thank you. (laughs) We've just been chatting all about books before we even came on the stage. We're talking about the most recent book that you read. Um, Bonnie Garmus's Lessons in Chemistry. Yeah. Oh, you know, like, you know, there's a book that's going to just like, oh, it's going to stick. I just love Elizabeth Zotz, the character. She's just so fiery. And it's like everything I want my daughter to be. Like everything, like just go fight everybody. Just fight everything. Like I just want my daughter to be like her. Well, it it feels like it's a book that you would, of course, naturally gravitate towards as a TV chef. Did you see a lot of stuff that you recognise from the world that you navigate? Yeah, when when I'd read about the book and I'd heard about it, I thought, oh, I've got to... to," Because there are very few people in the world who can relate to that being behind that camera. So I was like, I have to read it. Like, it's a must. It was like, it was calling me. And so I had to read it. And it's... it's, For Bonnie to have... Um, captured what it feels like to be behind the camera without having even been a TV chef herself. Who doesn't, by the way, Bonnie doesn't cook. We were on a panel last week together. She doesn't even, she doesn't like cooking. Really? (laughs) But does she like science? Do you love science? No, well, she doesn't. Well, she did the research for yeah. science, but she does science, cooking. It's not her thing at all. Like, how does she write? Like, it's so, like, it's so, I thought it was really clever. I think she, I think she's just an amazing writer. But when she said, I don't, I said, well, look, look, we'll have, if we're going to have a friendship, then I'll cook, you eat. She said, yeah, that's fine. That'll it be. works out. It works out, right? I'm just saying, we can have a friendship too. I like the sound of the, the okay. dynamic. I'm happy to cook if you're happy to eat. I love to eat. Perfect. And, and what was she like as a, as a person? Just amazing. I think there was something about her that she didn't say very much, but in the very little that she did say, she kind of put across really strong, important messages. Mm. Um, and she's very kind of, like, uh, unlike me, I'm a bit like a puppy, which my husband cannot stand sometimes. He's like, stop, 
just stop. Like, so I become, like, I get, I'm, I just get really excited about things. And she's just very, like, I, I want to be like her when I'm older. Like, just really calm and, like, really controlled. And, like, like she, she kind of commands authority, which, and she just seems, like, she's an amazing writer. And she just, everything she says, you will take and you will take with you and it will stay with you. It's a really interesting thing to say that the author is someone I want to be like when I'm older, but... The character is someone I want my daughter to be like. Yeah. She's older. Yeah. When you are reading, when you're getting lost in, in books, how much does having children play into what you love or the characters you're drawn towards? Well, I think growing up, books didn't play a huge part in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't go to a... Like I, I, when I think about what I did with my children, I would actively take them to a library on the weekend and we would get books out. And books were a big part of our lives. We'd read bedtime stories... Unfortunately, mine have grown out of reading bedtime stories. Um, I don't read bedtime stories to them, but they like to. My little girl loves to read out loud, so she reads to me now, so it's kind of gone the other way. So I didn't grow up with books, and I didn't really understand how wonderful they can be mm. until I had children myself. And so books have played a huge part uh, in my life. And, and so when I read now, I kind of, I'm always recommending things to the kids. I'm like, God, you guys got to read this. And they're big readers as well. So it's a big part of um, our life now. Uh, unlike my own childhood growing up, it wasn't something that we did as children. When did you discover books then? When did you find that they were something that you could love too? Does anyone remember the mobile library? Do you guys remember yeah, we the had mobile library? It would come to Newcastle, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. So mobile libraries, right? So we had a very small library in our, in our... I grew up in Luton. So we had a very small library and I'd read through everything. Like I'd already read through everything. I thought I, and, and so they, they would have a mobile library come every week. And I, we had 20 minutes. 20 minutes in a library is not enough. Yeah, like they, they put the stopwatch on, don't they? They're like, in, out. out. Yeah, 20 minutes. I'm like, I can't do this in 20 minutes. Yeah. And I remember, I remember being sat in a corner and my teacher, Mrs. Norton, said, it's time to go, Nadia, we've got to go. And I'm like, I really don't want to go. She goes, we have to go. And then she, I don't know what she did, but she's magic of teachers, but she stood outside and she allowed me another five minutes. And I don't know how she did it or what she did. But I was allowed another five minutes in a corner to read a book. And I think the silence that you create around you when you read a book is something that, I've, that, that was a thing that captured me, is that when I'm reading a book, I'm on my own on this journey in this story by myself and nobody's involved. And it's a way of kind of shutting all of that out. And I think that's why I love reading books. And now I have teenagers, so can I say that's why I love books even more now? Because I'm like, if that book is open, don't talk to me. <laughs> Do not talk to me. If that book is open, they talk, but I try and take books in the bath, and they still talk to me. <laughs> still, well, I you're know. You're really selling having children to Yeah. Because <laughs> I great. myself like to read in the bath on my own. Or, yeah, well, <laughs> you, you, they do become useful. They okay. become useful in the end. They're really cute to begin with, but they do become quite useful later. Well, we're going to talk about the books that have shaped you, the books that have brought you that silence and that escape when you've needed it the most. Mm -hmm. And your first book, Shelfy book today, Nadia, is You Are Not a Before Picture by Alex Light. A long overdue rebuttal of diet culture and the deeply ingrained systems that continually put us in opposition with our body image. This book equips readers with a way out of the oppressive structures of the diet industry, Working with experts in the fields of psychotherapy, fitness and nutrition, Alex empowers readers to finally feel free in their bodies. How can we pick this one? 
this book I read not very long. So I have my own little quiet book club on my Instagram, which I love to do. And this was a part of my book club. And I, this was, when I read this book, I, I, I was in floods of tears because it's so honest. Like she is so honest. And it was, I'd actually started listening to the podcast, Should I Delete This? I, I listened to her podcast long before I read the book. And on the podcast, she mentioned that she was writing a book and she's really nervous about it. And this is somebody who has struggled with her body image and with anorexia her whole life. And so it was really interesting because as somebody who works in, it's something that w in, in terms of sort of body image, I, I, it's something that I hadn't really thought about. I mean, I've always, as I don't know why, I felt like it was normal for me as a woman to always worry about what I looked like and, and if I'd, you know, struggling to fit into a dress, you know, that, that thing where you kind of work really hard to fit into a dress. I've been there. I've done all of that. I've had children. My body's changed. Uh, my body weight fluctuates all the time. But it was that moment when I read it and realized that it affected me very differently after being in the public eye and being in this industry where I can sit down to an interview and they'll say, they'll ask me, how do you stay so slim when I'm not feeling particularly slim that week? And I'm like, I don't really know what they're talking about. Why are they saying that? Are they mocking me? So it all gets in your head. And I read that at such a great time because it's something that I really needed to read at, in, at that point, I think just sometimes you pick up, you ever pick up a book and you think, this is what I needed to read right now. That was the book I needed to read to realize that I am, when I'm dead, like it's not going to matter that I had a thigh gap or if, which I never had. I've never had, and I don't care to have too much hard work for me. Um, but it's not going to matter. You know, that's not going to matter. That's not why my children are going to remember me. They're not going to remember, you know, that's not why, you know, the people that I love are going to, they're not going to remember me for my body weight. Like, it's ridiculous. So it was a book that I had to read in that moment. And as soon as I'd read it, my neighbor texted me and said, could I please borrow that book? Because I saw it, and I think I really need to read this book right now. And it obviously something that really struck a chord with her. And then I made my boys read it. And then I made my daughter read it. And then I, my husband doesn't read, so I had to read some of it back to him. Um, but I made my kids read it. But it was that good. I had to make my kids read it. I don't think there's a single person who doesn't have a relationship of some sort with food and their body. And this book tries to dismantle diet culture, not necessarily in society at large, but in the individual. Yeah. What was your relationship with food like growing up? Because it, it's your world, really. It's, it's interesting you say, because now my, I grew up, I'm one of six kids, so I'm from a big family. And um, I have uh, four sisters, I'm one of four sisters and two brothers, and everybody in my family is like very thin. Okay very thin like my sister had her fourth child and I kid you not I saw a six-pack six days later and I was like how has that happened I had my daughter 13 years ago and I'm still pretending that I'm carrying baby weight you know like it's ridiculous I'm like how has that happened how has she done that uh, but that's just the way she is that's how she that's that's her genetics and that's how she's that's her that's who she is um, and, and there's no changing that and I think Growing up in the culture that I did, there was a lot of comparison. There was a lot of kind of, oh, she's a little bit bigger. And there was no, there's no filter. You know, I grew up in a culture where there was no, you know, oh, well, you know, they didn't, they, they didn't save your feelings or they didn't worry about how you might feel. It's just like, have you, have you put on a bit of weight? You better not eat that chicken then. Let's get that away from you. And it was very much like that. It was like, just let's take, take, just take it away from you. And so I think that definitely... Um, didn't help with my relationship with food. So often I would eat, I would eat so it looked like I wasn't eating too much. And anything that I ate after was stuff that I would eat 
on my own not in front of everyone so I didn't have aunties who were coming around and saying oh you put on a bit of weight let's get that away or like isn't it your are you getting married soon you better stop eating that you know, things like that you know where I'm just kind of used to hearing things and they don't like mean that. it in a bad way but but shut e up every single yeah every <laughs> single word it infiltrates and the way you're spoken to will start to become the way you speak to yourself exactly exactly because that's exactly what happened to me because that's kind of how I ended up talking to myself internally yeah you know I'd say to myself or oh, maybe you shouldn't eat that or maybe maybe because if you're because you're in a crowd of people and they're watching you eat or you're all eating together they're looking at what you're eating but the reality is they're not Nobody cares what you're eating. Uh, it's just you. And that becomes your internal dialogue. And that is um, something that I've always carried with me. And then you kind of, then I stepped into this industry. And then you have people saying, you know, like, how do you stay so slim? And what do you do to balance what you do with work where you're eating lots of cake, but do you, do you exercise? I mean, I can tell you now, they're not asking Jamie Oliver and James Martin and Paul Hollywood. They're not asking them those questions. You know, I get asked things like, uh, so where are your children? Who's looking after your children? I've just I've tied them to a table and left them to fend for themselves. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I, would, I get asked those ridiculous questions as a woman that men wouldn't get asked. So um, working in this industry has definitely, definitely um, unearthed some demons that I've tried very hard to kind of dig very, very deep. So in those moments where I kind of think, oh, maybe I shouldn't be, or I get asked, it's a lot of calories. I'm like, yeah, but it's delicious, yeah. you know, because I'm trying it's, to... It needs them. Exactly. And, and I think I'm trying to, because I have children and because I also have lots of young people who follow me uh, and who have followed my journey, who are now teenagers themselves, um, I'm really aware of how I speak to myself <clears throat> because that's essentially how I'm going... They're going to hear me speak and that's how they're going to speak themselves. So, yeah, it's something that I've... Like, it's been really important for me to kind of teach my children and teach my daughter, especially after the sort of decade of working in this industry, that food is to be loved and yeah. food is to be enjoyed. And that is how I see it. You know, food is an enjoyable thing. And every time I'm kind of, I question my weight or how I feel or how I look, I kind of also remember the joy that it brings me and, you know, how much I get to do that and share that with other people. And, and I'm trying so hard not to create that internal dialogue that I was forced to create within myself growing up and now working in this industry. Uh, I'm trying so hard to kind of eradicate that from our home uh, with my children because they love food, but they love other things. They love cycling and they love going out. And for us, it's just living. It's just about living. That's all it is. Well, from finding the joy and seeking the happiness in food to just finding the joy in general, your second bookshelfy book is Joyrider yes. by Angela Scanlon. From the mind of the beloved television presenter comes this timely book on capitalising on gratitude as a way to lead a very joyful life. Scanlon lifts the curtain off the lofty and unattainable ideas of how life should be lived and opts instead to glorify the small acts of kindness and vulnerabilities in our everyday lives. When did you read this? I read this... I, I clearly really needed lifting. Uh, not so long after, when did I read this? I could just give you a really short answer. Not soon after that. Yeah. Not soon after it's Alex funny, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes we gravitate towards the books that we need. Sometimes we don't even know that we need them. You could read a book and it's just the wrong time for you. It doesn't hit. It doesn't yeah. hit at all. And you come back to it at a time in your life when you really needed to hear those words. Yeah. And I think, I think I'd read that not soon after reading Alex. I just... Uh, weeks if weeks are between Alex Light's book and this book and the reason why I read it was because I bought her jewelry <laughs> it's, I know so she um Angela 
ha- has this beautiful company called Freckle. Yeah. And she does the most beautiful gold jewelry and pearls. And my daughter got into pearls. And so I was like, oh, well, I, I, I really want to buy her something from here. And then I'd realized that she'd written this book. And I was like, well, I've got to read that. Because if, if I was like, if her jewelry gives me this much joy, I'm guessing the book's going to be the same. Could be more, you know. Could be more, Could be more right? Exactly. And I was like, and I picked up the book and it was the cover for me. I don't know about you, but when I'm reading a book, the cover has to speak to me as well. Like, it's really important for the cover. I mean, they say don't judge the book, buy it. But, but, but do judge. <laughs> <laughs> buy it sometimes. But I don't know what it is. Sometimes I do love the cover. It's the cover that draws me in. I'm like, oh, look at that. Or the way it feels. Yeah. Um, like, I, I've got this thing about Nigel Slater's Christmas book. I know a whole other genre. But, like, I, I, I go touch his book because it's fabric. And I'm like, I just go past it and I'll just just... I don't know why. I think it's it's a, a holistic, visceral experience reading a book. And obviously, you know, so many of us are reading on different devices. And that's great because you can carry loads of books on holiday. But personally, the feeling of it, the opening of it. Also, if I'm reading it on the tube, which I often am, knowing that I'm like quite proud about this book that I'm getting into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. says something about me. It speaks to me and it's speaking for me. And I think it all it's all part of the experience. It's, it is. I think reading books is it's the smell, you know, the smell of the yeah. pages. Uh, whenever I open a new book, my daughter the first thing she does is don't open it without me. Want to sniff it? She wants to sniff it. She wants to. She goes, I want to take all of the all of the book sniff first, so she will take the sniff first because it runs out. Yeah, because it does run out. It does feel it does feel like it runs out. But for me, um, it was the cover of the book initially, and I was like, this this makes me. I mean, as it was sat on my shelf, I was like, this makes me feel really happy because it's such a beautiful, bright, colorful book, and like you said it was something that I think I needed in that time like I was I just happened to be going through a process perhaps in my own head where I needed to read a book like that and what I found with Angela's writing was it's amazing you can read hundreds of books and every voice is completely different you really do get her voice as an author but what you also get is her wit like she's so witty like so sharp and I follow her on Instagram and she's just like quick yeah she's 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 brilliant she's so quick and that's what I think I love about and what I loved about the book was it was really succinct short chapters and sometimes that's what you want sometimes you want that chapter you want to start a chapter and you want to end the chapter but you want to feel and you want it to happen quickly because I don't what I don't like doing is when it's not ending and I'm like okay what and I'm looking to see when that chapter ends And I hate that because I'm like, do I like this book or do I not like this book? Because right now it feels like I don't like it. But with her, the chapters are so short and sharp and they give you a message at the end of it. And what I found with the book was I found it really lovely to read it like a a chapter a day. So that's how I read it. It gives me a little bit of something every day. And it was just enough to get me through a couple of weeks. You know, like it was really lovely. Just gives you a little message, a little something to think about. And that's what I found with the book. It was it gave me a little bit of something to think about. And it was actually the one book that I read my daughter. So I read it to my daughter, although I don't read to them at night. Like I said, can I read these chapters to you? And she said, are they short? And I said, yeah, they're short. And so I read the chapters to her and she loved it and she loved it and she took something away from it. So it was nice for us to have something to talk about at the end of it. Those types of nuggets, they do need to be digestible. Yeah. You want to be able to carry them around with you. You want to be able to remember them. And sometimes they need to be short for that to be the case. Yeah. Do you integrate gratitude into your daily routine? It's a huge part of what this book is about. Have you, have you found that helpful, especially in your career? I think when I was reading Angela's book, it's like being on a ride. It's up and down and you do feel like you do feel quite connected to each of the chapters. And I think for me, um, 
as a Muslim woman, you know, as somebody of faith, with, with faith, I try to practice gratitude every single day. It's so easy to wake up every day and think, do you know what, today's just going to be a bad day. It's so easy to think that this is not going to be, you know, it's so easy to wake up and feel negative. But as, as somebody with faith, you know, as, some, as a Muslim, I wake up every morning and I pray and I remind myself that I'm here today. And that's really important for me to wake up and remember that. And, and so, yeah, for me, practicing gratitude is such a big part of my life. And to add, to be able to have that extra layer, to, to be able to read a book that has nothing to do with my religion, like completely separate, and to be able to add that to feeling grateful, to be able to be present in the moment and to be happy with everything that you have around you is such a wonderful feeling because it's just, it's, an, it's like an added bonus. This is a book that discusses vulnerability as well mm -hmm. and being comfortable with vulnerability. Mm. And you've spoken candidly um, in the past, in your documentaries, in interviews, about your experiences with anxiety, with panic attacks um, and PTSD as well. What was your experience of writing about being vulnerable? That's probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because once you... Because I, I, mean, I never... I never planned to be in this industry. I never planned to do this job. And so I remember coming off Bake Off and, and I was asked whether I wanted to do certain things. I was like, well, I don't know if I want to do any of this. And then it ended up being my career. And with being in the public eye, there's this, um, you're almost, you kind of give up a little bit of yourself by being in the public eye. And it's about taking a little bit of that back. Um, and so at the very beginning, it was really tough and I really struggled with it. But, and I remember when I wrote in my book, Finding My Voice, I wrote about um, lots of really personal things that affected me, but I know affect lots of people that come from uh, the background that I grew up in. Uh, and I, I wrote it in and I wrote it out and I wrote it in and I wrote it out. And I said to my husband, who, I don't know why I'm doing this. Like, who am I writing this for? And he said, well, maybe perhaps ask yourself that question. Who are you writing this mm -hmm. for? Because you could very easily not tell anyone any of this. You could not talk about any of this at all and you could get through life. But why are you being vulnerable? And I suppose he made me kind of step back and ask that question. Like, why, why is it important to be vulnerable? Well, for me, you know, it's, it's a very personal thing. To be able to um, expose a part of myself that I could have kept hidden is really important because I know that there are people out there who, like me, suffer with PTSD, that who have suffered sexual abuse, who have um, anxiety, who, you know, so there are all of these things that they have suffered that where they feel completely isolated and alone. And with all of those things come shame. Um, and so I wanted, I'd wanted to be rid of the shame. And, and to be vulnerable is saying that I'm not ashamed and I did not, I'm not doing anything wrong. And, and it comes with criticism, don't get me wrong. Like it comes with criticism like you would not believe. Um, and you get, and, it, and it's really hard to listen to. Um, but in those moments, I remind myself of why I did it. And, 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 and I did it because um, there are people out there who feel alone, just like I felt alone in the past. And it's important to remember that we are in it together. As much as they just feel like words, it's so easy just to say we're in this together. But we are. Like, and that's why it's really important. When someone tells you that something you've said has resonated with them or they've been through something similar and now they know they're not alone, like you just mm. said and that shame they can relate to, but they can also override because they found strength. How does that make you feel? Scary. It's really scary, that feeling, because 
it's a responsibility. Mm. And, you know, I came into this world and I've, ha I've got three beautiful children and I've always been really um, honest and open about the responsibility I feel to my children because I need them to see... The version that they see at home is the version they see on camera, on podcasts. You know, like, that's me. There's, no, there's, no, there's nothing... There, nothing changes. But for me, that when people share that vulnerability and tell me that they feel exactly how I, I feel really, I feel really scared of the responsibility because it is huge. It is huge. But I take it on because I know that, you know, as somebody who has struggled and struggles even to this day with all of the things that make me who I am, but also working in an industry that doesn't have space for me, you know, I, I, I know that I have to create that space to be there so that they feel like they can be in that space that I've created. So I think yeah, it really scares me. It really scares me because my um, responsibilities span further than my children. And that's scary, but I take on that responsibility because it is something that someone has to do. And getting a real sense of the, um, the tone of the voice you use to speak to yourself. Mm. And it's a very beautiful one and it's a very uplifting one. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your third book today, which is People Person by Candace Carty-Williams. This is such a brilliant book. Oh my goodness. The author of the Women's Prize long-listed Queenie returns with her second novel, People Person, yes. which follows Dimple Pennington, who is fumbling her way through her 30s when she is suddenly thrust back into the lives of her five distant half-siblings and their absent father. This book is a hilarious and hopeful look at family dynamics and the ways we come together after loss. I mean, what a ride. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, it's such a good book. I read, um, I read Queenie, it, just two baths. I had two baths. That's two baths. You, you can guess how long that took me to read. But the kids were like, that's a lot of long baths, mom. Um, but I was just in there. It was amazing. But then people person, as soon as, because the thing is, it's the author. Sometimes the book is about, it is often, once you know, like I now know when Candice writes a book, I will be there. Yeah. Right at the front of the line buying yeah. that book. It's an you event. Know, yeah. Do you know, like when, so once you, for me now, Candice is, she, she's a part of my vocabulary now. Like mm. if she writes a book, I'm there, front of the line, I'm going to be buying that book. Um, and I'll be sharing that book. I'm a big sharer of books. It's like, who wants to read this book? Take it, have it. But... Once I'd read Queenie, I was like, when is she writing the next one? When is she writing the next one? People person was incredible. She has this amazing way of letting you into her life, which is what I love about reading, which is, which is what I love about storytelling, is when people allow you into their lives. And especially because when Candice writes, she writes what she knows. And they're the best books. I believe the best books are the ones that when, when authors write about the things that they know, the things that are the closest to them. And she writes about her people. She mm. writes about how she grew up. She writes about her community. And she doesn't write, it's not, she doesn't write it in a, like, it, it, there's no, it's not half-hearted, you know, like she fully goes in. And what I love about it is that, like, every single character stands out. You don't know who's the main character. No, anymore. and they're all so believable. Right? Her father, for me, above all. Yeah. People person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was interesting. Yeah. Like, but, because there, but there are loads of people who will, who, there are people who will read that story and, and, and see that father and be like, oh, I, I know someone like yeah. him. Like, I know someone like that. But she, what I love about her character, right, what, she, what I love about her writing is that each character is written so well with its own distinct voice that you don't actually know who the main character is anymore. 
Like everyone has a really strong, loud voice, a strong narrative, a strong, strong story. That's what I love about her books. And it allows me to be a part of a world that I'm not a part of. Like I don't, like some of the language that's used is very, very specific. And so I would, there's bits of patois in there, I think. Mm. And then so like, it's so I don't, I don't recognize it. So I might be Googling, but I quite like that I'm allowed into that world. Um, and I really enjoy that. But what I really also enjoyed about what I enjoy about what I enjoyed about reading that book was the similarities to my culture and and that culture that that, that that she writes about so it's lovely to be able to kind of link the two in some way it's a book that really does um, highlight the complexities of belonging and the complexities of love and and the, the family that you are given the family that you choose for yourself um, in your memoir, you chronicle the experience of all the different roles, that multifaceted nature of being that you represent, daughter, sister, Erna, cook, and people, person, it follows Dimple, who feels lonely, she feels unsure of herself, she's navigating all of that. What has this book taught you about living a multifaceted life? Do you feel that the people that love you, in a way, define you, all these different parts of you? They can. This is what is, it's really interesting because it really made me step back and think about because when I wrote my book, I spoke about all the different roles and how they made me who I am. And in the end, the reality for me, I think in the end, after having written my book and, and, and when you read books like Candice's book, People Person, you read books like that where a lot of the story is about the relationships that you have. Um, you can spend your whole life building your own character based on everyone around you. But something that I always tell my daughter, having you know, li lived a life where everybody around you and all the relationships that, ha that you have around you make you who you are, you almost, always, you almost always forget that you're the main character in your story. Like literally nobody else, just you. Your head, you. You are the main character. And that is something that I forgot. And even after I'd, re even after I'd written my book, and talked about all of these different relationships and these different roles that I play. And even having read books like People Person, where you kind of get into the complexities of being in different relationships and what they all mean and how they all fit with each other, in the end, you're the main character. Mm. And that's something that I'm having to teach myself now at 38, I'm having to teach myself that you are the main character and you've spent, like, you've spent your whole life thinking about the side characters, not really thinking about you, and you're the main character in your story. And that's something that I'm trying so hard to teach my children, is that you can have lots of wonderful relationships, and they, they will be a part of who you are, but you have to always remember who's at the center of that story. It's you, uh, and you're the main character of your story, and you have to always remember that in order to be the best version of yourself. So yeah, like it, it, there's lots, of, it gave me lots to think about. Knowing that you need to come back to yourself, at the end of every day, there's only gonna be you who, who can be there for you, that you can be sure of, is, yeah. is so important. There's a real freedom and a real peace in that. Yeah. I mean, this, this book is about family. Yeah. Um, you're from a big family yourself, one of six siblings, like you said just before. Um, so I want to talk just briefly about your documentary, Nadia's Family Favourites, uh, which highlights comfort meals that are meant to be shared. I, I'm from a big Nigerian family, and, and it, it really does centre around food. Yeah. The dinner table is where our family happens. Uh, FYI, I'm one of 67 grandkids. 67? Yeah. Do you know them all? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
No, I mean, I probably don't know the last 15. Fine. Still a lot. Still good going. I mean, I know the, every single one by name, apart from the last maybe 12, 15, maybe. I don't know. 67. No one can remember 67. No. Come on now. What? Wow, your grandparents. And that's just my dad's side. Yeah. That did well. My grand, great-grandfather had several wives, which I think is why our family is so big. Mm -mm. And everyone sort of lives on a compound. So even if you're not technically directly related, you're sort of all part of the same. It's a village, isn't it? Yeah. And if a kid from Wood, definitely a village. Up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, and it takes a village. Um, what are your favourite dishes to, to bring your family together? Oh, so we are... So asthma, it's changed quite a lot, actually, because when they were younger, I was very much kind of like, you've got to try lots of different cuisines. I want them to be, I wanted them to not, I didn't want them to be fussy. I was dreading, like, I was dreading having fussy kids. I was really dreaded that. I was like, oh, please don't be fussy. Please just eat what you're given. My second was fussy. And like now he is eating me out of house and home. Oh, great. How, when was the change? How did it change? Um, do you know what? I, there was a point when he was sort of 10, 11, up to 10, 11, where he just would not, like, he knew what he liked, um, and I would give him what everybody else was eating, and I, 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 and I learned that rather than trying to push him to eat what he doesn't want to eat, I used to just leave him to it, and then something happened at 12, and it was a, like a whole other child, and, he was, and, and it hasn't stopped. I have a nearly 17-year-old and a 16-year-old, and I kid you not, like, I, I think I'm going to have to put locks on the fridge... I didn't want to be that parent, but I think I'm going to have to because like, at midnight, I'm like, what are you doing, both of you? Oh, just making noodles. My brothers do the same. I've got three brothers. They're all like six foot seven. And they come home and it's just straight away, open the fridge. fridge. My poor mum. It's just everything. Yeah. It's gone straight away. Yeah, like gone. Like uh, food shop, it's unreal. Like they don't want to help me with anything in the house. But when the food shop comes, <laughs> they're like... Shall we help? I'm like, how much of, it, of that is going to end up in your bedroom? I want to know. But, you know, we, so much of our food, uh, so much of our life is centered around food. I grew up in a house where my dad um, ran restaurants. Mom's an amazing cook. And just to picture what our weekends were like growing up as children, my dad would uh, call us on the landline when we used to have landlines, and he would say, clear the dining table. This happened every oh, three, four months. He'd say, clear the dining table. Like, we know what he's doing. He's got, like, we used to have a butcher at the bottom of the road. He'd have a sheep on his back. <gasps> Not joking. And he would come and, like, slap this thing on the, on the table. Sorry, vegans. Uh, like, he would slap this thing on the table, and he would chop it up, and he would dig a massive hole in the garden, and then he would get a pot big enough to fit three, four of us in, and then he would get all of the bits, and we'd, do, we'd start on the onions, and he would get, and then he would cook, and we'd cook that curry all weekend. I'm sorry, I was wondering where it was going when he said he'd get a pot to fit three or four of us in. Like, I'm just giving you, a, just giving you like, the, the, like a, uh, how big it was. Like we were little, yeah. right? And we, all four of us could get in. And it was just, we would play in it. We would put water in it and we would bathe in them. It was oh. just fun. It was just lots of fun. I love that he would butcher the, the sheep there and then. Did you learn to, to, to be able to butcher an animal? Yes. Amazing. Yes. My, dad's a, my granddad was a farmer. Right. Um, and, you know, we grew up, uh, every summer we'd go back to Bangladesh and we would be on the farm and, and we would be there. And like that. If you wanted to eat chicken, my granddad would say, 
yeah, you got to catch it first. Yeah. So we would spend the afternoon catching it, like really back to basics type stuff. Um, and that is something that is very much a part of our house now. Um, you know, we don't have, <laughs> we don't have, to, we, we don't, you know, the, I don't get them to catch their chicken before they eat it. But we, we do a lot of outdoor cooking. But, you know, for us, um, so much of our food, it, ha our family time is centered around food. Um, and I've become my dad. Like, I don't have a hole in the ground, but I do occasionally, like, put the fire on and I'm like, who wants to come and cook and eat and like just spend the day eating and that's what we'll do yeah. and we do a lot of that especially when the weather's as lovely as this I, I would say that if you are thinking of putting a lock on the fridge you could just instead adopt that mantra catch the chicken then if you want to eat you've got to catch the chicken yeah that's that's also I could do that and they would catch them though <laughs> yeah they would <laughs> they would actually catch them not them Bailey's is proudly supporting the Women's Prize for Fiction by helping showcase incredible writing by remarkable women, celebrating their accomplishments and getting more of their books into the hands of more people. Bailey's is the perfect adult treat, whether shaken in a cocktail, over ice cream or paired with your favourite book. Check out baileys.com for our favourite Bailey's recipes. If you're looking to learn more this year, then we recommend the How To Academy podcast, a bi-weekly show from London's home of big thinking. They invite the world's most exciting leaders, scholars and entrepreneurs to share their ideas for transforming our lives and the world. Past episodes include Bill Clinton and James Patterson on creative partnerships, Isabel Allende and Gloria Steinem on feminism, the late Madeleine Albright on diplomacy, Noam Chomsky on the politics of the climate crisis, Melinda Gates on philanthropy, Mariana Mazzucato on the consulting industry, Lise Doucette on the future of Afghanistan, and much more. If you want to know how Nobel Peace Prize winner Maria Ressa stands up to dictators, how comic book pioneer Alan Moore boosts his imagination, or how Chelsea Manning fights for a more transparent society, you'll find out with How To Academy. They have episodes featuring a few of our own favourite women authors, including Kate Moss, Maggie O'Farrell, Anne Patchett and Claire Fuller. The How To Academy podcast is your one-stop show to broaden your thinking and hear from the artists and experts shaping our world. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Nadia, your fourth bookshelf book is The Island of Missing Trees by Elif Shafak. Oh, there was like yes. a gasp in the right. tent. Right, yes. A lot of love for that book here. Uh, shortlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction in 2022, so just last year. This is an intricately woven novel charting the lives of two star-crossed lovers in war-torn 1970s Cyprus. Told from the unique and heartbreaking perspective of a fig tree, and its unusual connection to a young girl from London. This is an illuminating story of love, loss, and the ways in which we can reconnect with our roots. Why did this speak to you? So I read this book when I was on holiday. So I, I take one book, and that's like my time is dedicated um, to that book. And, and I said, this was, I was really selfish this holiday. It was, last, it was my last birthday. So my birthday is on Christmas Day. And nothing's open on Christmas Day. And if it is, it's all Christmas, like it's all Christmas menu that's really expensive that I have to sit through, which I don't want to. And so, like, nothing's open. And so I said to my husband, no, I'm gonna, we're going to go on holiday. I'm going to take my book. And, and I, I don't want anyone to disturb me. I just want to enjoy my book. I want to be... And it was a be I'm so glad I picked that book. And I thought, like, I really had to think before going on holiday and, and, and think about what book I was going to read because I didn't want to take a book that I started and thought, oh, mm. I don't know if I'm sure about it. A lot it. rides on that one selection, doesn't it? 
It does, and it's the first few pages. And so I, I, so I read the first few pages, and I thought, oh, no, this is it, this is it. This is the one I'm going to take. And I... Um, I took the book with me and I said to the kids, I'm going to read this book, but I don't want anyone, like, I'm in this book now, guys. So they're like, that's fine. You're like, you guys cannot disturb me, okay? I'm really here to enjoy my birthday and to enjoy this book. And it's really interesting because the way the book is written is unlike anything I've ever read before in my life because the narrator in... So there's a chapter where you, 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 you read the story and what's happening in the story, but there's also the perspective of the fig tree, and that was really interesting for me uh, because, like, and never ever, like, what could a fig tree, if a fig tree could talk, what would it say? You know, like, that's why I asked, I was like, if a tree could talk, what would it say? And I just loved that perspective. And what I, it only dawned on me when I read the second chapter and I went to fig tree, and then I went to the sort of the fourth chapter. And it was fig tree again. And I was like, have they made a mistake here? Oh, you're going to keep coming back to this? Yeah, I was like, yeah. have they made some sort of a mistake here? Because this fig tree chapter keeps repeating itself. And I was like, oh, no, 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 the fig tree's talking. And that's that moment, you know, in a book, when you get that moment where you're like, oh, I get what's happening here. That's it. Like, that's that magic moment. It's a bit like baking when you're like, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. You know, that moment, that was that moment for me. And I loved that about the book. I thought it was so beautifully, beautifully written. You cannot, she, you can't redo that. Like you cannot, once magic like that has happened in a book, can you ever redo that? And I don't think you can. And I think I love the fact that we were, we were looking at the family from the fig tree's perspective. It was just such a beautiful way to do it and such a beautiful way to tell the story. And like, I have an obsession with fig trees. Like I love fig tree. I don't have a fig tree. I didn't have a fig tree till I read that book. Then I raved about it, and I told my sister-in-law, and then two days later, there was a fig tree at my door. You got a fig tree? Oh, your sister-in-law. She got me a fig tree, and, and she, she'd read the book as well, uh, and, and, and then she said, it was just the most beautiful thing. It just came, it was on my doorstep, and then she said, I can't remember what the note was, but it was so beautiful, and she just, it made me cry. I was at the doorstep crying with this fig tree, and it took me right back, um, <clears throat> and I was like, maybe, and she said, um, she wrote in her note, this fig, tr no doubt this fig tree will have beautiful stories to tell about your family. Oh. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to kill me. <laughs> like just the most, and like I now, there's just something about now when I look out into my front garden and I see this little fig tree still growing, like still very small. And I'm like, there's something about mm. the stories that we tell. Um, and, and yeah, it was just such a beautiful, I mean, I, get, I was jumping off out my seat telling that story. It's just so, it's just such a beautiful book. It feels like that fig tree's roots are going to weave their way around your family. It came from your sister-in-law. It's now in your garden. Every day, your family is growing around the fig tree as it grows. It yeah. will have stories to yeah, tell. Yeah, I think, I think that's what... I think that is exactly... that. I think that was the intention of the author. Yeah. I think the intention was to write that fig tree into that story in such a way that you are so captured by it that there is no... There's no denying that that fig tree talks. Um, and like, it just, it, yeah. So like for me now, when I look at that, whenever I look at that fig tree in my front garden, I always think of the fig tree that talks. So for anyone who hasn't read that book, my goodness, go get it right now. I feel like quite a few people here have. have I impression. Have. <laughs> for anyone who hasn't, yes, I absolutely actually, recommend. Yeah. I guess in a similar way to the stories that this fig tree is able to encapsulate and then 
put back out into the world. You know, we, we share stories in all different ways in our families. Um, in my family, and, and, and I know lots of others, we pass down recipes. Yeah. It's, it's how those stories, they, they transcend. They, they move on to the next generation. Your upcoming cookbook is Nadia's Simple Spices. It hones in on eight core spices that rule your kitchen, but are also really integral to the rich history of Southeast Asian cooking. Why is it so important for you to share, to share recipes? I, well, I grew up in a house where my grandma, so my grandma was an amazing, she's still around, can't see very well anymore. I mean, like, just the set, like, when I walk in, she knows from my footsteps that it's me. Like, that's kind of, that's just, that's kind of cool. But she's also that person who can say whatever she likes. She's at that age now, like, she can say whatever she wants. But my grandma, she, she can't read and write. So my grandma doesn't have an education. Uh, didn't have an education, married at the age of 11 or 12. You know, she had eight children, four of which survived, four didn't. And she grew up in a society where, you know, she had to have boys. You have to have a boy. And she didn't have a boy till much later. And she was ostracized for it. And so she was this, you know, I grew up around a very, I mean, as, as, as leaders of the pack go, I grew up with some of the best, you know, like my grandma was amazing and she could never she would cook but she could never tell me how much of what was going in and she couldn't read she couldn't read so she kind of went off you know what things looked like and what things smelt like maybe that's why her senses are so amazing now um but she didn't have recipes she didn't have recipes to give me and you know when I went for me it was really obvious when I went into the bake-off tent and everybody was in the bake-off tent and they had recipes from their grandmas that they had on scraps of paper and I didn't have any of that. And I felt quite sad about that. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't have any recipes. Like, so I didn't have any recipes that were written down by my grandma. And my mom is of the, uh, of, of the um, she's of a school of thought where if you can't watch and learn, I'm not writing it down for you. <laughs> no, not going to happen. So she, my mom never wrote anything down for us. And I am so lucky that I get to work now. In an, I now work in an industry where I get to write my own cookbooks. So my kids now have books that they, they can take books that, that they will walk through life and say, oh, this is my mum's book and this is, these are my mum's recipes. But it was really important for me to write this book because this is all about the eight spices that my family have used from my grandma, probably my grandma before her. Um, these are the eight spices that they've used and you can do every single recipe in there, breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert, using those eight spices. And it's a combination uh, of so many different uh, wonderful things that you can put together. And it's just, it, it was so important to share that with people. And you'll have to read it to find out what those eight spices are. <laughs> From family and food being so intertwined and those stories carrying on through those recipes. We continue to talk about family with your fifth bookshelfy book. However, it is How to Kill Your Family Yes, by Bella Mackey. This is a deadly funny revenge novel which follows Grace Bernard, who, after learning of her father's indifference to her dying mother's wishes, makes light work of a killing spree where each of her victims is a member of her own family. But things take a turn when she's imprisoned for a murder she did not commit. Written by one of this year's Women's Prize for Fiction judges, this is a scathing, hilarious take on family, vengeance and class. Why did you enjoy it so much? The most enjoyable part about this book was 
when I was going on holiday with my family and I was reading it at the airport. And we're just, we're sat there, the plane's delayed, and I'm just sat there reading it. I'm just, I can't, the looks you get reading that book. Yeah. And I think, um, I think Bella's got that kind of, the author has got that kind of sense of humour. I think she's got a bit of, I follow her on Instagram as well, I think she's got a bit of a, I think she's got a bit of a dark sense of humour. Uh, and I think when she wrote the book and she did that cover and the, the words are how to kill your family and you're sat at an airport with your family, I think she knew. I think she knew oh, very well. She knew. Yeah, she knew that she was going to, people were going to read that book and that was going to be the thing that made people look. Uh, so that was clever. I thought that was really, really smart. But it is a really, really completely different to all the other books that I've read. Like, this is a completely, like, it's the complete opposite. Here we are talking about roots and families and, mm. and, and, and the different relationships that we have. And, and here we are you know, a book about killing your family. I found it really fun. Like, it's... I've, I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed reading this book. Like, it was it was that part of you that can't think it, but can. Because you're reading it, you're like, go on, kill him. <laughs> go on, get him. Go on, get him. Because there's some of us, right? Like, you know, there's, there's, there's people in your family that you don't want to kill, but, you know, you know, like some mild torture wouldn't go amiss. Yeah. You know? Like just, I don't know. I just that I didn't. I unlocked a different. It unlocked a different part it's of allowing me. you to feel something, yes. to think something that you thought you couldn't. But you know what? All the thoughts are out there. Yeah, I think we all think it. We all think it. But Bella was smart enough to write it, yeah. and then she wrote it in a way that, like, made you feel like it was okay. Mm. <laughs> you're like, this is good. Like, and 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 you're with her on the journey as she's killing them one by one. Like one by one, the plot, like the plan and how she gets them there and how she eventually does it. And you're like, yes, who's next? <laughs> like, you it, it gets like, it's quite, a I wonder if she's going to write a second one. I wonder. Watch this space. She'll be surely about tomorrow night in Kanaska. We can ask her, yeah. yeah. She's really, really deft at finding those very creative, unique angles into this story to take you along on this ride like you've just described. What is your creative process like? You're coming up with new angles all the time for your work. And it is, I guess, an infinitely inspiring playing field. It, you, if food, we're working in the food industry, and, and especially with like, my, a mind like mine that never stops. Like, I don't ever stop. I'm always thinking about what I can do next and, and, and like, what I can... And, and it could be something as similar, not like any... Not even big projects. Like, not even like, what am I going to do in five years? I don't even think that far ahead. It's more like there's this new ingredient, like, what can I do with that? Like, mm. what would be really interesting? How could I do that? How could I make that really, you know, even if it's dinner, like, even if it's something simple as making dinner for the kids, you know, like, it's, I'm always feeling like, oh, what can, how can I make this a little bit different? How can I make this a little bit more fun? And I've always kind of enjoyed that aspect of being in the kitchen and, be, and cooking. But I also really love the writing aspect. I love that, you know, I get to... Um, uh, write about when it comes to recipes you know I love to write about the like the, the chapter headings and things like that I love all of those little details about writing um, recipes but it's it, it, the, the possibilities are endless you know you don't and, and you don't have to just go like even when I'm on holiday I'm working because I'm like I put something in my mouth and I'm like oh mm -hmm. <laughs> what's that and my husband's like stop stop you're not working right now 
And then I like pull, I've got like like my notes on my phone and I quickly put something. He goes, you're not supposed to be working, but I can't help it. I'm like, but it's so much fun. I love trying to work out what things are and like trying new cuisine. So it's an endless possibility. So I'm forever, like I may never stop working, which isn't a bad thing because I kind of love doing this. With this idea that everything can be this really exciting, creative endeavour, like what am I going to have for dinner tonight? We're on an adventure here. Yeah. Like, what a great way to live. What a great way to be. It's, you know what? It's, I, 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 as much as I kind of, I always mock my teenagers because they are miserable. Um, but they're 17 and 16 and they're meant to be. That's absolutely fine. But some, you know, when, when I'm really enthusiastic about dinner, like I told you, I'm like a puppy. Like when, I, when they come home, I'm like, hello. And then I'll go and give them a kiss. I'm like, I want a kiss on the lips. Kiss on the lips right now. And then they will give me a kiss. And, like, and then I get really excited about dinner. And I'm like, so I've made this and I've made this. And those days when I'm just a bit down or I'm a little bit off or maybe just busy or in my thoughts or in my head, like we all can be, they kind of look at me and they're like, Mom, what's the matter? Like, are you all right? Like, is everything okay? But it's always really funny because that never affects dinner. Because then they'll have dinner and they're like, oh, she's fine. <laughs> she's fine. She's absolutely fine. So, yeah, I love, I love that every dinner can be, like, magical it's and an wonderful. Yeah, and it's a bit of an adventure. And that's why they'll never leave home. <laughs> oh, no, what have I done? What have I done? You've talked, Nadia, about struggling with restrictions like you're on this adventure and it's yeah. exciting and all this stuff is happening around you but you know growing up you've said in your memoir there were, there were restrictions in terms of going to university becoming a midwife this career that you have carved out when you've been carving your path how have you stayed true to yourself how have you known what to do next um that's a really big loaded question like that and it's my final one okay that's that's why um it's I talk about it in my book quite a lot about kind of how restricted I felt in life. And, and I think I, I, if, if I look at my own teenagers now, they may look back and think, oh, God, we were quite restricted as well. But, you know, I grew up in a culture where women definitely did not stand at the front. Women were very much at the back. And, and we had a role. We had a job. And people, you know, we, you know I, my role was to <clears throat> become a wife and to be a mom, which I did. Uh, but that was only because I wasn't able to, even though I'd gotten, you know, I, two weeks away from university, my mom's like, absolutely no way. You leave, you're not coming back. Like, I'll change the locks, but you're not going to university. Because I was the first girl in my family to get into university. So she was afraid. And, you know, at the time, <clears throat> it was really hard to hear because I'd worked really hard to get to university. Um, so, yeah, I grew up with a lot of restrictions. I grew up with lots of barriers, lots of doors shut in my face, lots of no's. And so I think, if anything, what that did was it made me stronger um, in what I'm doing now, yeah. today. It made me stronger as a wife, it's made me stronger as a mother, um, and it's made me stronger as a woman. And I truly do believe that I had to really hate being a woman to love being one today, and, and that's why I'm here today. That's, you know, that, that's, what, that's what inspires me to keep going every single day, is that you know, I get to be... I get to be in a industry that was created for essential. I say created. I work now. I now work forward facing in an industry that was that is essentially filled with middle aged Caucasian men who are doing their thing. Fantastic, but there's no space for someone like me. And here I am. I've turned up five foot one. You know, like hey, so I can cook. And it's taken me a lot of strength and courage to create this space for myself and to keep this space for myself because 
often I get told that this isn't a space for me, this isn't the industry that I should be in, and that, and, then that, and, and that is evident in the battles that I have to fight every single day. And so in those moments, uh, when I kind of feel like giving up, I tell myself the one thing that the affirmation that I have raised my children on is elbows out. Create space for you so you can create space for others. And in those moments when it's really, really difficult, pull those elbows out and show yourself, make yourself bigger and create that space for you. And that's what I tell myself every single day. I stand here and people may look at it and look, oh, look, she's really successful. It hasn't come without sacrifice and it hasn't come without difficulty. But... I know there are girls like me who are watching me and watching my every move, and they're watching that space that I've created. And one day when I'm not here, that space will be there for them. And that's, that's the most important thing. Well, Nadia, I cannot thank you enough for carving that space, for being here with us today. I lied when I said that was my final question. I just have to ask you, if you did have to pick one of those five books that you brought today as a favourite, which would it be and why? Oh, do you know what? I think the, if I was going to pick one that really took Alex Light's, yeah. Alex Light's book, I think uh, for me, uh, that has to, if anyone who's never read, who needs a book like that, read it and it will really make you realise that we are, we are so much more than our bodies. So, yeah, give that a read, I think. Well, Nadia, thank you so much for joining me and thank you so much for our live audience. <laughs> I'm Vic Hope. You have been listening to the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast live from Bedford Square. The Women's Prize for Fiction podcast is brought to you by Baileys and produced by Birdline Media. Thank you so much for joining us. Have an amazing day. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you.